Claire is going to read the passage for us tonight. Um, but if you, I think you can follow it on the screen or in your Bibles, it is from Exodus 5, verse 1 to Exodus 7, verse 5. Exodus 5. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labour? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had the straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are lazy that's why you keep saying let us go and sacrifice to the lord now get to work you will not be given any straw yet you must produce your full quota of bricks the israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day when they left pharaoh they found moses and aaron waiting to meet them and they said may the lord look upon you and judge you You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. 
I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. There were the heads of their families. These were the heads of their families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, were Hanok and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These were the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar and Shaul, and the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. These were the names of the sons of Levi, according to their records, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon by clans were Libni and Shimei. The sons of Kohath were Abran, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Mahali and Mushi. These were the clans of Levi, according to their records. Amran married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Amran lived 137 years. The sons of Izhar were Korah, Nepeg and Zikri. The sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elazaphan and Sithri. Aaron married Elisheba, daughter of Aminadab and sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Asir, Alkanar, and Abiasaph. These were the the Korahite clans. Eleazar, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. It was this same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. 
tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Thank you, Claire. That was a, a mammoth reading. You did an absolutely amazing job. Well done with all those names. I don't envy you in reading that, so thank you very much. Um, I'm just going to share my screen, um, and then we will delve into our um, our sermon for this evening. Um, hopefully you can... There we go. Can we all see that? Is that okay? I get a nod. Sam, I can see you, Sam. So can you nod? That's brilliant. Thank you very much. I can't see all of you. I can see most of you. Um, Guys, good evening. Um, It's a wonderful privilege to be able to bring God's word to you um, tonight. Um, It is, I know it's it's 20 to 9, but this is an opportunity for us to go to bed with the last thing um, that's gone into us is God's word. So, I mean, that's a wonderful way to, to end our weekend, isn't it? And to start the week. So I pray that this is an encouragement for you. And I'm just going to pray now before we start um, as um, I bring God's word to you. Father God, we want to thank you so much for this time, Lord. Thank you for what we've already been looking at, your promises that are true and trustworthy. And we know that we can put our faith that you will deliver exactly what you say. I pray tonight would be an encouragement for us all. That, um, that we would have ears that are willing to hear, hearts that are desperate to change. Lord, I pray that we would, um, yeah, just be open to what your spirit is saying to us. And anything that is not from you, I pray that it would just go by the wayside. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, what's happened so far in, in our Exodus sermon series? Well, so far we've seen that Moses has gone from royalty in Egypt um, to a shepherd in the wilderness and he meets the great I am he meets Yahweh he meets the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and it is God that has given Moses this amazing job to go to Pharaoh to bring his children out of Egypt and we saw last week that Moses made many excuses didn't he Kenny shared those excuses with us and some of them were that he talked about um, who am I what shall I say what if they don't believe me please Lord I'm not eloquent at all I can't speak well. Lord, please send somebody else, he says in chapter 4, verse 13. It, was, it is only once God has given him his elder brother uh, Aaron to help be his co-speaker that they return to Egypt and they go and speak to the elders of Egypt of Israel and let them know and say, God has promised that he has remembered his covenant with you. He will, um, he will rescue you. Two chapter, these two chapters that we're looking at today, uh, verses five and six, uh, chapters five and six, mainly in a bit of chapter seven, we see that Moses and Aaron go and fulfil the mission that had been given by God to go to Pharaoh, to go to fulfil the mission that they've been given. And in what we see today in this passage, I think is really helpful for us. 
I think we see a pattern, an important pattern for all who attempt to obey God's call on their life. Because what we see today is, and this is the main kind of crux of what we're looking at, obedience to God's call does not mean everything is going to be easy. Obedience to God's call does not mean everything will be easy. Because the task that we've been given corporately, that we all get given when we are uh, when we come to faith, is that we are on God's mission. We are to go and make disciples. But also there's individual tasks that we are given uh, amongst that, isn't it? About who we're, who we're on mission to, how we live our life, um, who's in our sphere of influence, how we our work ethic and all those sorts of things um, come into play as our mission that we're given by God, a call into our lives, on, on our lives. But what will happen is at some point, it is most likely going to lead us to hardship, persecution and suffering. And we may well end up repeating the words that Moses says, which is, please, Lord, send somebody else. Well, Moses goes to Pharaoh and what we see in this passage is that he has no success at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's an absolute epic failure. Things don't get better. In fact, we see that they get far worse. And in in chapter 5, verse 22, Moses turns to God and says, why did you even ever send me? Why did you send me? Have you ever entered hardship even though you are obeying God? Have you ever had a call in your life and you know that it's the Lord that's telling you to do something and you've obeyed and it's ended up being really, really tough? Maybe that's as a young person. So I know most of you are young now, but um, when you're maybe at school being labelled the weird Christian, when you follow God, you're mocked. Maybe you're single and desire to be married and you understand what scripture says about the standards that you should look for in a spouse but that person just hasn't come around yet maybe others are trying to get you to lower your standards and go out with someone they're attractive they've got a good job i know they don't love jesus that much but that's okay obeying jesus in singleness is a difficult thing to do or maybe you're an, uh, you're an employee and you see wrongdoing at work and you stand up against it and you're known then as a troublemaker and you're overlooked for promotions. I've heard of people on the course that I'm doing that have uh, decided that their call on their life is to adopt children into their family. But the reality has been that it's been far from easy. Behavioural issues, attachment issues, academic issues and other challenges. Maybe you didn't take that job that would have given you financial security but you knew it wasn't the right thing to do, but another job hasn't come your way and you're struggling. Maybe you were led to be part of a church plant to reach a local community instead of being part of a bigger church where things may have been a little bit easier and that the, the, the need to serve would not have been as great. Obeying God does not mean that life is going to be pain-free. It's not going to lead to popularity. It doesn't mean that we're immune from the effects of living in a fallen world. So the question is not, will we ever have moments of discouragement and disappointment? The question is, how can I deal with deep discouragement and disappointment? How can I deal with it? Especially discouragement when we are obeying, we feel we're obeying what God has commanded us to do. What we see in chapter five is we see Moses and Israel experience discouragement. And we also see how they react in those discouragements and disappointments. And I think that we can see ourselves in how they react and we can learn something from them. And that's what we're going to look at um, today. Well, Moses goes to speak to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. 
a man who himself the Egyptians believed to be a god. He thought he was a god himself. And they go and say to him, the Lord, the great I am, says, let his people go. Let his people go so we can go and offer sacrifices and worship to him. That's what they want to do. They, they want to go and worship God. It's a natural reaction. God wants to set them free. They want to go and worship him. And Pharaoh's response is this. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not even know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. We see the, 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 the story in Exodus is about God revealing himself for the great I am. That's a major theme that we see here. God acts to let his people know who he is and to let the nations know who he is, that he's great and powerful. And Pharaoh will come to see that himself shortly. But, but Moses and Aaron are bold in their plea. They go to the most powerful man in the world and they make their plea. God has met with us. We need to go and make sacrifice to him. We need to go and worship God. And if we don't, he's going to strike us down. Meeting with God has brought Moses and Aaron boldness. It's like the boldness we see in Acts that we studied just um, a few months ago, isn't it? Where Peter um, goes uh, before many, many people, before the leaders and authorities, and he speaks with boldness that he hasn't spoken with before because he has met with God at Pentecost. He received the Holy Spirit. But the response of Pharaoh to Moses and Aaron is, um, is quite crushing for them. Because Pharaoh refuses to listen. He refuses to listen. He, in fact, he doesn't only refuse to listen. He is incensed by them even asking. He's thinking they're scared of this God. They're fearful of him. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll show them who to be scared of. And he tells them to get back to their burdens in verse four. But then he also increases the burden that he places on that people. We've already seen from a couple of weeks ago, we saw they're under political oppression, Mm -hmm. social oppression, you name it. Um, Pharaoh had done it to the people of Israel. And yet now he's increasing their burdens even further to make them make bricks and even go and find the straw to go and make those bricks. An impossible task, a burden that just couldn't be kept up with. What a contrast. What a contrast that is to Yahweh, the great I am, to our Lord and Saviour. What a contrast it is. We have Pharaoh on the one hand, burdening a people, and we have God on the other hand, looking to free a people. But for Moses, it's all gone wrong. The situation is not a good one. This is not what he had planned. This was not what he thought would happen. This was not the path he expected to be walking. Yahweh was supposed to free them, but instead, they slipped deeper into slavery. Well, let's have a look at Israel's response and then also Moses' response and see if we can see ourselves in any of these. Well, first of all, when faced with disappointment and discouragement, we can be quick to grumble to others, especially the leaders, especially about the leaders. So at the end of chapter four from last week's sermon, we saw that actually Israel were praising God because they knew that they were going to be freed. And then very quickly, it moves from worship to grumbling The Israelite overseers appeal to Pharaoh and he doesn't hear them, doesn't really listen to them. This is what happens when they come out from seeing Pharaoh and they go and find Moses and Aaron. They say, he says in um, verse 19, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, 
May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. May the Lord look on you and judge you, Moses. They are quick to turn on their leaders when things don't go the way they had planned or thought it would. You see, Moses' obedience, the call on his life to go and do what God had asked him to do, sticking his head up and going and doing it, obeying what God had asked him to do, brought him hardship and hatred. I don't know if you know this, but in a few places, I've seen this stat a few times. It says that 30% of of Christian church leaders, sorry, only 30% of Christian church leaders end up finishing as Christian church leaders. It's a horrendous stat, isn't it? 30% of Christian church leaders finish as Christian church leaders. The main reasons that they give for that are they disqualify themselves through indiscretion or due to fallouts at the church. See, it's really easy to grumble and to criticise leaders, isn't it? I remember when I was working at school and it was we'd always moan about the senior leadership team. It was kind of the thing that you did. But especially when they made decisions that were just thinking, what are you doing? I remember one time they decided to change the whole timetable halfway through a year and it just impacted the PE curriculum so badly. All our groups changed at different times. Extra curricular had to change to the, day, the times of the day changed. It was awful. And we were not happy about it. And we made sure we let everybody know just how unhappy we were about it. Anyone, even if they didn't want to listen, they didn't have much choice. We kicked up a fuss and the leadership team asked to see us. And they said, look, our, the reason we're doing this is because our year 10s and 11s need an extra hour or two of English and maths every week. And the only way we can do it is if we change the timetable around completely. Felt a little bit humbled by that. But I think even even in the church, I, I, I have been in the past quick to think about how decisions that have made, prayerful ones, that are to lead us closer to our goal of making disciples and being a family of missionary servants who make disciples, often I, I worry first and foremost about the, how that decision is going to impact my life. And I confess that I have grumbled in my heart. And just thinking about all the things that we're talking about at the moment as a church, the future, what that's going to look like for us, the building, uh, the cafe as a ministry, all those things that we're talking about at the moment, big things. As decisions are made and a way forward is sought. It would be very easy to grumble. It would be very easy to grumble. Now, Sometimes it may mean leading us into a place of hardship, a challenge, things that are going to challenge us personally, our time, our money, our effort, our relationships. It doesn't mean leading purposely into hardship, but part of a pattern in the Bible that we see often is that God's people go through hardship. I'd actually question that if we never, ever experience hardship, if the leaders always kept us away from any form of struggle or difficulty, then there would be something wrong. And so just to encourage you that during this season, that we that there are um, things in the future that are unknown. And yet 
one thing that is known is that God is good and God will guide us. And so as a church, I encourage us to be praying for the leaders, praying for one another to maintain unity of the spirit that we have been given already. That as we make these decisions, as we go forward as a church, that we would be a church that are, don't grumble, but, a sl- but, but talk about things and pray for one another through this process. Because when, uh, where there is a grumble and when we grumble, actually what we see is that it declares our distrust against God and his sovereign rule over our lives. When we grumble, we are actually declaring our distrust in God's sovereign rule over our lives. So we see, secondly, that when we're faced with disappointment and discouragement, we can be quick to grumble about God. We see the Israelites grumbled at God's representatives, at Moses and Aaron. But the worst thing is that the representatives actually go and blame God. They go and grumble at God. Moses, who is meant to be speaking for God, goes and says, you brought trouble on us, on this people. The ESV calls it evil on this people. He may, have met, he may have met with God. He may have gone with boldness to speak to Pharaoh, but he doesn't get the character of God. God is not evil. He does not do evil. He does justice. God can have nothing to do with evil, but Moses grumbles at, at God. To be fair, at least Moses cries out to God. He's, he's quick to go to God rather than to go and grumble to other people. But, but, and as we saw in Lamentations over the last five weeks before we started Exodus, it's what God calls us to do. He calls us to cry out to him first and foremost from our innermost being. But we are not called to curse God like Moses is doing here. You see, it's important that we don't grumble. We see the, the, the Hebrew word for, for grumble is lun ragan. Lun means growling. Ragan means rebellion. It says that when we grumble, we are growling against God. It is the start of a rebellion against God in our hearts. And we see that in Israel throughout Exodus and throughout the Old Testament. We see that is that that, um, Israel repeatedly grumbled or discontented with God. They complain about the bitter water in the wilderness. They complain about being hungry in the wilderness and the type of food that God miraculously provides for them each and every single day. You see, it sounds like an innocent thing, doesn't it? it? Sounds like a small thing, and even like a little, a little. We all have a little bit of grumble here or there, don't we? Like to go in for a cup of tea and have a little grumble with, with every now and again when we've got something on our mind. But actually, it leads to a dissatisfaction with God, and it leads to rebellion against God. Look at Israel as Moses. Moses goes up the mountain to go meet with God, and he comes down to find the nation of Israel and his brother Aaron worshiping a golden car. After all God has done for them, their grumbles have turned to idol worship. God hates grumbling. Why have you done this evil against me, Lord? It's a question that sometimes I know I can have in my heart and I can grumble to God about. Maybe it's I obeyed your call not to date that person and you haven't brought anyone along to me yet. That's not fair, God. Why have you done that? I obeyed your call to serve in this way, but it, but it's hard going and I'm tired and I don't want to do it anymore. How can you've done this to me? I want I sh- it should be fun. I obeyed your command uh, to to take this job, but I hate it. 
I, I, I did your command to move to this place, but I, but I hate this place. Why did you do this to me, God? Maybe we obeyed you to call and plant this church and reach this community and we're tired. We'd love more people to come and be on board and mission with us. But we'd like to see more fruit. Why hasn't it happened, God? You've not delivered how I expected. Do any of these sound familiar to you? Maybe you could fill in the blank. But God doesn't like grumbling. In fact, in James uh, chapter 5, verse 9, James says, Do not grumble against one another. You see, often we're quick to think about God's wrath when it relates to things like sexual sin, but at the top of James's list is grumbling. Because he knows that grumbling is where we let darkness in rather than the opposite, which is rejoicing and bringing light into the situation. And that's exactly what Paul's exhortation is to the Philippian church in chapter 2 of Philippians, where he says um, the church is to rejoice, not to grumble, not to grumble, but rejoice in hardship so that there might be light in the world. We're called to be light in the world. And one way we do that is through rejoicing, even in our hardship and difficult circumstances. But how do we do that? How do we fight this discouragement and disappointment that is part and parcel of obeying God's command on our life? Well, instead, we can face discouragement with gospel promises. When faced with disappointment and discouragement, we can remember the promises of God, the gospel promises. Well, there are many pointers to gospel promises in chapter six, um, where it's all about what God is going to do for his people. And he has a series of five I will statements. He says, basically, the promise of liberation, I will liberate you. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, it says in verse six. The promise of redemption, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and a mighty act of judgment. The promise of adoption, being adopted into his family. You will, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. There's the promise of inheritance. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give you. I will give you the promised land. You will enter it. Judgment and mercy. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and I will put my hand on Egypt. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, these promises are not for you. There is no reason to rejoice. There is only grumbling available to us when things go wrong. And it's the natural reaction to disappointment. But for those of us that know and love Jesus, the great news is that those I wills for Israel are the I haves for you and me. You have been liberated from your sin, from all your sin, from all your slavery, from all the past and present and future sin, you do not need to be enslaved anymore. You do not need to carry the burden of your sin anymore. It has been taken off you. You have been redeemed from the penalty of your sin, which is death. You've been adopted into the family of God. You are God's son with whom he is well pleased. You've been given an inheritance, um, now in part, but the, the, the seal of the Holy Spirit assures us that we will receive that inheritance in full when Jesus returns. You have... Um, And judgment has fallen on Jesus instead of you. Instead, you've been shown great mercy. You've been spared from the wrath of God. 
when we look at those promises and we remember them and we see them written down like that, I just found myself thinking, how can I even grumble <laughs> about anything? Made me think about the grumbles, the things that I do grumble about are just so trivial sometimes. But God still cares about them and he still wants us to cry out to him. But sometimes I think it's helpful to remember just what God has done for us and look at those gospel promises of what he's done. But I think also, strikingly, what strikes me from this passage and those promises is that all these statements show that God is in control of absolutely everything, even the most powerful man in the world, that he will harden his heart. Even when it looks unlikely, even when you have obeyed God's call and things look bad in the future and you can't see an end to it. That verse that we probably say in most sermons each and every single week, a promise of God, Romans 8, 28, is so true. That's why we see it most weeks because it is true. It's just hard to actually believe it, isn't it, sometimes? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to the purpose, to his purpose. God is working all things to your good if you know and love him. And maybe we just need to spend some time thinking and reflecting about that. How is God working good in your situation? But I found this, um, yeah, so, so how do we worship? That's, that's how we worship a God who knows your burdens, just like he knew Israel's burdens. He knows your burdens, but doesn't fix them straight away. That's how we worship him, because we know he's working in the future. He's working in us now, but also to bring about some change in us for the good in the future. I found this a really helpful um, thing that I read about, which was in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13. It says this, consider the doing of God. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? Consider or see the doing of God. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? Well, Thomas Boston, who's a Puritan from a few hundred years ago, he wrote a book based on this verse called The Crooked Lock. And he said this about it. Now, he said, um, when something painful comes into your life to put a crook in your lock, see the operations of his hand in it. Look upon it kindly as your father has made it for you. Question not if there's a favorable design in it for you, but be reconciled to it and submit under it whatever it is. I love that, that he says, the Father has made it for you. He has made it for you. Whatever's going on, in obeying his call and things may be difficult, but he has made it for you. He's made that, 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 that difficulty there for your good. Do not question the favourable design in it for you, but submit to it, whatever it is. But Thomas Boston also warns against taking steps into response, into, uh, in response that we should not take. He talks about grumbling, blaming God, going against what we know God has called us to do. You know, so doing things like, I'll marry that person even though I know they're not right for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. I will take that job even though I know it's not going to be the right thing for me and God doesn't want me to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to stop serving even though 
I know the Lord wants me to do this, but I'm not going to do it because I'm tired and, and I can't be bothered anymore. But maybe, just maybe, God's crook in the lock has saved you from an unhappy marriage, a job that is detrimental to your walk with him and other relationships. Maybe he's teaching you joy even in hard serving. Because Boston continues, he says, um, no one can make straight what God has made crooked. It must continue as long as he chooses it to do so. There is nothing that makes temptation of more easy access than this. Instead, he says to submit to whatever it is. We can't straighten what God has made crooked. By our own design, we can't do it. We can't change that. But what we can do is we can look upon the favourable design that he has in his plan for us. Missionary John Pete to the, the Hebrides went with his pregnant wife, called by the Lord to go to the Hebrides with his pregnant wife to share the gospel to all the people there. No one knew the gospel of Jesus in the Hebrides at that point. She gives birth to a baby boy and then three days later she dies. A week later, his son dies. Talk about a crook in the lock. Well, how does he respond? Well, how would anyone respond in that situation? Well, of course, he, he wept over the grave for a long time. But he also prayed that that land would become the Lord's and he claimed it on behalf of the Lord. And he says this. It was very difficult to be left alone in such sorrowful circumstances. But feeling immovably assured that my God and father was too wise and loving to err uh, anything he does, or, uh, does uh, not permit. I looked up to the Lord for help and struggled on in his work. I do not pretend to see through the mystery of such visitations as God calls away the good, the promising and the so sorely needed for his services here. But this I do know and feel in the light of such dispensations, it becomes us all to love and serve our blessed Lord Jesus, Jesus, so that we may be ready for death and eternity. You see, John Pitt, he, he hung in there. He struggled through his call to that place and how easy it would have been for him to have left and no one would have blamed him. But over a number of years, he led every single person to Christ. Every person on that island came to Christ. You see, guys, obedience to God's call does not mean everything's going to be easy for us. In fact, it's probably going to mean quite the opposite. But as we face disappointment and discouragement um, in obedience to God's call, how we react does matter. We can react with grumbling. We can blame others. We can blame God. We can trust in his proven faithful promises that our God is in control of all things. It's him who makes the crook in our lock. It is him that makes uh, our path crooked. It is by his favourable design because he's doing an amazing work in us. I'm just going to finish with um, a poem um, by Edith Lillian Young. It's based on Job 23 verse 14, which says, For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me. This really struck me um, as I was working on this sermon, and hopefully it will be helpful for us as we finish. It says this, 
Disappointment, his appointment. Change one letter, then I see that the thwarting of my purpose is God's better choice for me. His appointment must be blessing, though it may come in disguise. For the end from the beginning, open to his wisdom lies. Disappointment, his appointment, who's the Lord who loves me best, understands and knows me fully, who my faith and love would test. For like loving earthly parent, he rejoices when he knows that his child accepts and questions all that from his wisdom flows. Disappointment, his appointment, no good thing will he withhold. From denials oft we gather, treasures of his love untold. Well, he knows each broken purpose leads to fuller, deeper trust. And the end of all his dealings proves our God is wise and just. Disappointment, his appointment, Lord, I take it then as such, like the clay in hands of potter, yielding wholly to thy touch. All my life's plan in thy moulding, not one single choice be mine. Let me answer unrepining, Father, not my will, but thine. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you that you have given us a call to obey. Each and every day, we are to obey your commands. Thank you that we are, do not do that alone. You have your Holy Spirit in us, working in us and through us to make us more Christ-like each and every single day. But Lord, we also recognise that there are times where we struggle. We struggle on the call for our life to obey you. We find difficulty. We find uh, crooks in our lives. We find that we don't know what to do. We find sometimes um, a weight and a burden, Lord, that we carry, that we can bring to you. That so often we cling on to those things and we can grumble. We can become frustrated with you, Lord, that you've done this to us. But Lord, we want to say now that we, we trust your plan for our life. And Lord, if there's anyone there at the moment that is struggling um, in this way, in any way, Lord, like this, that feels that you have not delivered as they expected. Lord, let them know that you have a plan for their good. Thank you, Lord, that by your design, you are working a wonderful um, change in, in them. I pray that in those times we would look to your promises, promises that are true, Promises that we have already received and taken hold of. Promises that we know will come, uh, will be fully fulfilled when we go to be with you. But until that day, Lord, I pray that we would look to you, that we would trust in all that you have said that you would do, that we would see that throughout the scriptures you are a God that delivers. You're a God that fulfills his promises. So, Lord, now, in this moment of silence, Lord, I pray that we would just give over to you those things that are lurking inside us where we are quick to maybe feeling like we want to have a grumble about you, Lord. So I'm just going to leave a space now for us to do that. But Father God, we are grateful that you, we know that you care. 
You don't leave us in a place of despair. Lord, you are with us each and every single moment. I just pray that we would be quick to turn to you, quick to be uplifted by you, and that we would turn to rejoicing quickly, even in the midst of hardship. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.